Today's Bible reading is taken from Psalm 91, 1 to 16. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadows of the mighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say, the Lord is my refuge, and you make the Most High your dwelling, no harm will take over you. No disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra, and you will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because, because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him with long life, and I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. This is the word of the Lord. It's a pleasure to have Dr. Edna Grenz up here sharing with us this Sunday, and um, I'll pray for her before she begins, but I just want to say again, thank you for your role in shaping the tradition of worship uh, of the church, and uh, I know that you'll bring more insights today, so we really appreciate that. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for Edna, we give you thanks for her heart for you, and for leading people in worship of you. And we ask that you would bring peace to her as she uh, stands here today and shares from your word, shares the things that you've laid on her hearts over the years, and uh, that you would bless us again uh, by these insights, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm grateful for this opportunity to help us open this gift of worship. And I think the children really helped us lift into that. And all of the, the music was wonderful today, lifting us to Jesus, whom we worship. Many of you know that worship is a topic that's kind of a favorite of mine. <laughs> so we're going to talk about the what and the who and some of the physical response of, of our worship and the joy of worshiping in every circumstance. We all, that is every human being, worship something or someone. Every one of us devotes our time or places our um, focus of respect and admiration to something or somebody. <clears throat> it may be a sort of a obsession with a hobby or a physical activity or nature or a game or a TV show or a certain social media platform. All of us are worshipers. Those things that we cling to become our gods, our objects of worship. But what does it mean for us to be Christian worshipers? 
The dictionary defines worship as a feeling or expression of reverence and adoration of a deity or great admiration or devotion shown towards a person or principle. You've all heard the expression, he worships the ground she walks on. It's kind of a casual way of using the word worship. Or there's the more formal way, such as calling the city mayor or, or a judge in court your worship. It's a term of respect for the position or the person. But as followers of Jesus, our focus of worship is not on, our, on human beings, no matter what their title, but on the wonderful gift and privilege of worshiping our triune God. We are privileged to come to our Heavenly Father who gave up his only son to die on the cross. As we come to the Father through Jesus, who suffered that horrible death, who was forsaken by his Father. Jesus, who gave his life for us and rose again. Jesus, who didn't leave us forsaken, but who gave the promise of the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. We worship Jesus, whose kingship we celebrated a few weeks ago and about which we sang today. And now in Advent, whose birth we anticipate celebrating and whose coming again we hope and long for. So here's my definition of Christian worship. Christian worship is our response to God as we attribute absolute worth to him. In our worship, we affirm who God is and what God has done, and we respond to his glorious acts in expressions of praise, adoration, thanksgiving, and awe. Such worship is vital to the church body as we gather together in corporate worship of the living God. Worshiping together helps to unify us as a church family. In our call to worship, we are being called to turn our minds from the stress of getting ready and getting everyone out of the house in the morning so we can get here on time, and we're called to turn our minds from the challenges that we face in our daily lives and even from the conversations that we've enjoyed just before the service began. We are called to focus our attention on the one we are called to worship, the object and the subject of our worship, the triune God. And much of our worship does involve singing, and we experienced the wonderful time of that this morning. There's something very special about joining our voices together in unison or in harmony that unifies us, that overcomes differences that, as the many voices, whether beautiful voices or croaky voices, sing together, but with the same focus as we sing words, especially that focus on God and on his attributes and on Jesus as our Redeemer. But it's also important that each of us, as individuals, as followers of Christ, worship in our own daily lives. And how do we offer such worship? So we looked at Psalm 91. Those who live or dwell in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. The Most High is the Lord, the Creator of heaven and earth. There is no idol, no God, no media personality or created being that should be worshipped or exalted over the Lord. Our God is holy, set apart from others. 
Remember how the prophet Isaiah responded to God's holiness? Remember, he saw the Lord sitting on the throne with the seraphim surrounding him and singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Isaiah was so overwhelmed with a sense of awe and with a realization of his own sinfulness in comparison to holy God. That holy God through Jesus also cleanses us from our sins and that holy God calls us into relationship with him that is precious and very personal. Living in him, dwelling or remaining in his shelter, the shelter of the most high God, is to be always aware of a place of refuge, safety, and protection. What other object of our affection or worship can offer such gifts, such a place that we can trust when we live in that place, we are safe, sheltered, as the psalmist portrays, as under his protective feathers. The psalms are poems, really, that often use metaphors such as this. And I love this image of a mother bird protecting her young. It's a powerful image of that metaphor of God's protection. Who else or what other object of our worship can keep such promises such as given in verses 14 through 17? These verses at the end of the psalm are sort of a summary of the previous verses of the psalm. I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. I will answer when they call on me. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue them and honor them. I will satisfy them with long life. I will give them my salvation. Wow, that should make us clap our hands and shout for joy, shouldn't it? It should make us bow down and worship in awe of him. Or perhaps it causes us just to sit quietly with open hands to receive and to ponder these promises that God has made to us. The Bible refers to different ways of physically expressing our worship. Some of us feel free here to raise our hands as an expression of praise and connection to God. Joseph, recently when he preached, told us that when he first came to FPC, he liked to raise both hands, but pretty soon he just dropped one hand and pretty soon he just bravely kept both hands at his side. Well, Joseph, you know, Pentecostals don't have dibs on raising our hands in worship. But I think a lot of us Baptists have our hands kind of grown to our sides. But I've, I'm sure many of you have been to secular concerts or to contemporary concerts where you've seen the audience waving their arms and swaying to the music or maybe dancing. That is a natural expression. Our bodies react in response to music. It is. It is also a natural response to lift our hands sort of when we plead for something. You know, when your kid comes to you and says, please, mom. Both the psalmist and Timothy in the New Testament speak of lifting our hands in prayer. That reminds me of my sister-in-law, Ruth. She had a very challenging life of being a caregiver to her um, uh, disabled veteran husband 
and her completely dependent daughter who was dependent from birth through adulthood. There were times where she, she's told me that there, she just didn't know how to pray, what to say, how to turn. She would lift her hand and say, help. And she would grasp as if grasping the hand of God. That's a physical response that seems to connect us to our Heavenly Father. And several times in scripture, we read of God's strong arm or his right hand. And one of my favorites is Isaiah 41, 13. For I am the Lord your God, who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear, I will help you. Sometimes all we can do and the best we can do is to hold on to that outstretched hand of God and say, help. That in itself is our plea to God, as well as a recognition of God as he is our helper. We can worship and respond to God physically. I may not see any of you dancing in the aisles here, but lifting your hands may be a response you could try. So I'm going to go out, out on a limb a little here, and with the help of the choir, and with the help of my friend Joseph, who really likes raising his hands, <laughs> teach you some movements to help you express God's holiness without it being too intimidating. So first, we're going to rehearse the text. You already know these words. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Just say that. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And we're going to take our right hand first. Put it down. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And then repeat it with your left hand. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. So we, we are symbolizing God's holiness. And as we bring our hands to our chest, we're, we're expressing our desire that God's holiness, our Lord's holiness, be applied to our own lives. So those are the first two lines. And then we sing, the whole earth is full of his glory. Say it. The whole earth is full of his glory. And here we circle our arms. The whole earth is full of his glory. Three times. The whole earth is full of his glory. The whole earth is full of his glory. And then, holy is the Lord. Okay, let's have the choir stand and sing it through. And as you feel you'd like to, you can follow Joseph on this side. <laughs>
time at home just felt like raising your hands in praise to God or bowing down in thanksgiving or sometimes being so overwhelmed with with issues or overwhelmed with his goodness that you just want to fall down on your face before him in the privacy of your own home I've done that sometimes and it's it's humbling and healing if you're too self-conscious to raise your hands here or bow down in worship when you're with in, the, in public with people, why don't you try it at home on your own? You may find a new kind of prayer connection to our living God. Another physical expression comes to mind when, whenever we hear the benediction at the end of our worship service. What does the pastor usually say? Receive this benediction, right? Yeah. When somebody offers you something, piece of chocolate, cool, cool glass of water, the Christmas gift you've been anticipating. How do you respond physically? You can't really receive a gift unless you take it. A few weeks ago, I was playing ball with our grandson, who's two years old. His name is Hugo. Oh, isn't he cute? I was trying to, catch, to teach him to catch the ball, to hold his little hands open like this, but he kept going like this. Made it difficult for him to catch. Well, when we were offered the benediction, which is a gift of blessing, do you want to receive it like this, or like this, or like this? Or would you like to receive it open-handed? Many of you already do this. But if you, if you don't, if you haven't tried it, why not try it? I believe that it will help you to receive that blessing that's being offered to you. So how do you enrich, enrich your personal life of worship? Look around you as you live in this beautiful city and appreciate the beauty of creation and thank the Creator. Look at your friends and family and people around you and thank God for the uniqueness with which he has created them. Or try praying with your Bible open to the Psalms. This is known as the songbook of the church for many generations. And in the Psalms, you'll find countless attributes of God that will trigger your adoration and worship of him. He's my rock, creator, guide, shelter, faithful, merciful, a very present help in trouble. Or as we've sung today, he's our wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Or king of kings, lord of lords. All these words, all these attributes of, of God, of our living God, help us to worship 
This is the God we are privileged to worship. Worship is not about us. It's about God. And as we encounter our Redeemer in worship, as we pray and praise him, God's life is formed within us. God's life is formed in us as we encounter him in worship. But can we worship with joy in this troubled world? Can we worship him when we are broken, tired, dismayed, in pain, or grieving? Today is the third Sunday of Advent, and we have lit the candle of joy. Our foundation of joy is the Lord. When we have developed the habit of living a life of worship and of living in the shelter of the Most High, I believe then we can worship him even in tough times. In the Old Testament book of Nehemiah, we read the account of the prophet Ezra engaging the Jewish worshipers in the renewal of their covenant with the Lord. When he began blessing and praising the Lord, the people responded by lifting their hands and saying, Amen, and they bowed down with their faces to the ground and worshiped. After we have heard scripture read, we utter kind of a feeble, thanks be to God. <laughs> but you know, perhaps the Jewish worshipers are a little more outgoing than we are. But the story also tells of the people weeping as they listened to God's word and as the law of the Lord was explained to them. The people were overwhelmed with understanding God's message to them and they began weeping. Remember what Nehemiah said to these people? He said, don't be dejected and sad for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord. But when things are not easy, it is that joy of the Lord that has been, <clears throat> sorry, that has been sparked by a living a life of worshiping our great God that also gives us the continued impetus to worship. The Psalms of Lament, which are cries for deliverance from enemies or from distress and suffering, tend to always give way to expressions of trust in God and his provision. So we too have the assurance that in our deepest of life's valleys, we can still sing a song of confidence and joy. The third Advent candle is a reminder that we are to rejoice in the Lord always. Really, always? Always be full of the joy of the Lord? Yes? The joy of the Lord is our strength. I know that life is not always joy-filled. I experienced that deeply in 2005 when my husband of 33 years, Stan, died suddenly of a massive brain hemorrhage. I was not feeling much joy. But I'm grateful that by God's grace and with the prayers of many people, in spite of my shock, my many questions, my deep grief, I was able to carry on with a trust that God did care. The FBC choir sang at his memorial service. They sang the Hallelujah Chorus, and I was able to conduct that. How could I do that? How could I lead the music at the Orpheum, the Easter service, two weeks later? I could. How could I worship? I could because Jesus, the hope of the nations about whom we sang, was my hope. 
He was the comfort for all who mourn. I was mourning. My hope was found in Christ alone. I was given the gift of being able to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I could sing hallelujah. I have to admit that at the end of the service, I felt like going into a corner and wailing. And I think I expressed that to Peter Finley, who reached out to me at that time. So thank you, Peter. <laughs> there were certainly also many days when I didn't know how to pray. But I, I did know that I could trust God to help me. So can you sing a song in a strange land, as the psalmist sometimes expresses it? Can you worship in a time of world turmoil, a time of financial stress, a time of loss of a loved one, loss of your health, or loss of relationship? If you have developed a dependency and worship of Jesus Christ, you may not be dancing or singing in your trials. You may just be lifting your hand to grasp the hand of God in trust and saying, help but you can still be confident that the joy of the Lord is your strength. Philippians 4 was read with the Advent wreath reading, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Or in the First Nations version, Always dance with joy before our honored chief. I will say it again, dance with joy. Let everyone see how kind and thoughtful you are. Our honored chief is close at hand. The First Nations people, the Anishinaabe from Northern Ontario, have a traveling song with the words, I am the reason you walk. The book group that I'm in has been reading a book called um, The Reason You Walk by Wab Kinu. He explains this phrase that has um, four layers of meaning to it the reason I am the reason you walk. The first meaning of I am the reason you walk is I, the creator, have created you and therefore you walk. The second meaning is I am your motivation. The third, I am the spark inside you called love. The, the um, sorry, I am inside you called love which animates you and allows you to live by the Anishinaabe values of love kindness, sharing, respect, and humility. The fourth and final meaning is, I am the destination at the end of your life you are walking toward. I was drawn to this description as I was thinking about worship. God has created us. Therefore, we walk and we live and we worship our God, the creator. It is the living triune God who is our motivation for worship. And God's amazing love gives us the spark to live by those values that he has laid out for us, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, and strength, and to love one another as he has loved us. And he is the destination toward which we walk. In Advent, we look forward to that final destination, the time when Jesus comes again. Our honored chief, is close at hand. The Lord is near. Or in some translations, the Lord is coming soon. Either way, the Lord is close at hand. That is the joy of the Sunday in Advent. The Lord is near. 
He is near as in celebrating his birth. He is near as in coming soon. And for us right now, he is near. He is near to you in joy or in sorrow. The Lord is near. Isn't he called Emmanuel, God with us? And that is who we worship, the one who is always near. We attribute worth, we bow down in humility and in honor, we lift our hands with joy, we raise our voices in song, we worship our holy, almighty God. We live in and find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. been listening to the First Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. For more sermons and information about our church's services and programs, please visit firstbc.org.